Welcome to A Bigger Life, where you can break through the distractions, stop, listen, and speak to God in prayer. I'm Dave Cover. I want to help you use the Bible as your conversation with God so you can live a bigger life. We all deal with times of disappointment. I mean, I don't care who you are. I don't care what your personality, and there's different personalities. Some people are more generally positive and others are more generally negative. And there are times in our life where that's a blessing and a curse either way, because sometimes being too positive is not reality and sometimes being too negative is not reality. I think reality is both. And we live in a both negative and positive narrative in this world, this side of the kingdom of God, no doubt. And so there's going to be times where we deal with disappointment and deal with frustration. Are you in one of those times right now where you're, you're frustrated, you're disappointed? Uh, the, the reality of life is painful in some way. There's loss in some way, loss of an opportunity, loss of money, loss of a relationship, loss of a dream you had or something you were hoping would happen is sort of slipping away. And I, I, it's easy for negative emotions to start getting us to think of our lives as being about ourselves. I, there's something about, and I think it's true when things are going well too. I think a lot of times when things go well, that's a temptation all of itself to start living for ourselves. But it's also true when we're frustrated, we're disappointed, we're feeling loss, and our emotions get the better of us. That's a cliche because I think it's true. And we start thinking of our lives as about ourselves. And that's not reality. That's a real trip down the bad hole. And we start complaining. We start grumbling. We start blaming our our circumstances on people. We start seeing people as the fault for our, our negative situation. And we start losing our vertical higher perspective. And, and in those times, we particularly need to worship. At least I found that to be true. These times, I, I always thought about it as a deception of Satan to isolate me. When I'm frustrated, when I'm disappointed, when I'm feeling loss in some way, feeling just sort of the, the pain of a fragile life, which is what life is, the fragility of life is painful. In those moments, I, it's almost like I'm feeling a by, by myself, I'm feeling isolated, and I'm feeling even, in a sense, isolated from God. I'm not even sure where God is. I'm not even sure where I am with God. And it's like this, this brick wall, but it's really a, a painted paper wall. Satan has painted this, this paper wall to look like a brick wall, to wall me in, but it's really just a paper wall and I just need to walk through it. And the way I just walk through it is to start worshiping God. That might seem counterintuitive to worship God when you're not feeling like worshiping God, but that it really is the exact opposite. I think the, the times we don't feel like worshiping God are when we would benefit and feel the power of God in our lives the most when we do start worshiping God. Psalm 90 is a psalm. It's the only psalm in the Bible ascribed to Moses. And it's a, it's a Moses-y kind of prayer because, you know, Moses wasn't the happiest guy in the world. Moses was one of these guys who never thought he was good enough to be used by God. 
and he was always frustrated with the people. You can see why he was if you read the stories. But he was always somebody who, you know, the, the, not a silver lining kind of guy, not a half full kind of guy. And we see that in Psalm 90. And again, these Psalms are inspired by the Holy Spirit. God creates each of us. And if you have kids when they're young, you, you, you realize when they were older that their personality was kind of baked in. When they were one-year-old, two-year-old, three-year-old, uh, they had this personality baked in. And so our sense of, you know, whether or not we're half full, glass half full kind of people, glass half empty kind of people, that's like, that's kind of baked in. It's who God has made us to be. And there are, there are good things about it and there are bad things about it. They'll, they'll all be redeemed in the resurrection. But right now we have to deal with the bad things about it. And, you know, this, this prayer in Psalm 90, we see Moses being used by God in his personality to sort of give us a perspective of life. It's sort of this realist, realistic, not pessimistic, but not really optimistic, but just realistic view of life. And it takes us to the right place. It takes us to the place of worship. And, you know, it's this psalm is often read at funerals <laughs> because it's one of those kind of psalms where it enters the pain of this world and it gives us perspective. Just the raw reality of life in this world. Moses knew much about it and knew much about frustration and disappointment. I want to read the first two verses. Moses says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Now, I think we just would benefit a lot by slowing down and thinking about what Moses just said. He just said that the everlasting God, this God who is from everlasting, it's, it's, it's Moses' way of saying in infinity past all the way to infinity future. We can't even comprehend infinity. Uh, Never-ending Distance in the past, never-ending distance in the future, God is God. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. It's this infinite idea that God is the I Am. Moses is the one that God first gave his name as the I Am, as Yahweh. I Am, tell them I Am sent you. I Am that I Am. And this this is what Moses is thinking of when we think when he thinks here of God. He is from everlasting to everlasting. You are God. We have to use our imagination to catch what Moses is saying. That the in, in this universe, in our life, in reality itself, the very existence of reality itself, there's nowhere else to go but God. The forever God is God forever. And Moses calls God here our dwelling place, that the forever God is our God forever. He is our dwelling place. The everlasting God is our dwelling place. He's our home. We become given to despair. We become feeling isolated. We become feeling lonely and restless and discontent and complain and grumble when we forget 
that the forever God is our dwelling place forever. God is our home. It's easy to think, and I imagine Jesus worshiping the Father through this psalm right here when he, had, when he said he had nowhere to lay his head. God, the Father, was his dwelling place. Remember, we looked at the last episode that, that Jesus would get up early when it was still dark and leave the house and find a solitary place to pray to his Father because God was his dwelling place. God was his recentering of his life. God was coming home. That's what God was to him. This God that created the universe before the mountains were brought forth, before ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God and you are our dwelling place. You are the I am, always with us, always present. And then Moses gets realistically... um, not pessimistic, but, but kind of here, uh, glass half empty-ish. And this is reality. In verse 3, he says, You return man to dust, and you say, Return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass." That is renewed in the morning, in the morning it flourishes, and it is renewed in the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. Now this is what Moses is saying, because he's Moses is the one who wrote Genesis and the whole story in there of God creating us in his image to rule over the earth and this great grandeur of purpose and glory and to cultivate the earth and spread Eden was lost by our desire to be our own God, to seek our own good, to not trust God and not trust his word. And so this thorns and thistles and dust and death became the world. Uh, Or we might even say the world stayed in its thorns and thistles and dust and death because Eden never got a chance to spread at least not yet. This is the world we live in where instead of living forever by eating of the tree of life, whatever that meant, uh, that we are returning now to dust. And it's been thousands of years of dust and thorns and thistles and death because of our sin, because of God's judgment, wrath, anger toward our sin. This is reality. This is the pessimistic side of the true narrative of our, of our lives. God is our dwelling place. God is the forever God from everlasting to everlasting, but we are in the dusty part of the story, the thorns and thistles and dust and death part of the story because of sin, and it's going on for thousands of years. And from God's perspective, from God's perspective, time from God's perspective, this has been like each thousand of years has been like a day. This long story is but a dot on the eternal time scale. And God has existed from eternity past, from everlasting to everlasting. He is God. Even before the earth was formed, God is God doing his God thing. But we are in this thousands of years of dust. and But it's like a day. 
to God. He's got this bigger story that our life is in. And yes, our our iniquities, our sins are before God, even our most secret sins and the back secrets of our thoughts are in the light of God's presence. He is the I am always present. He sees everything. Every sin is always present. And so when we complain, when we get discouraged, when we get disappointed or frustrated and we think we deserve better and we start living for ourselves, we're forgetting that we don't deserve any better. We're we're right now the bad people in the story. We're the bad guys. But but God is changing us. God is renewing our hearts. God has this bigger story. There's this already redeemed part of it that we've already been united with Christ in his death and his resurrection, made alive with Christ, seated with Christ in the heavenly realm, but not yet. I mean, yes, already, but we're in this in between and we're still in the dusty years and we await the redemption of our bodies, Paul says in Romans eight twenty three. This is the hope in which we were saved, that we're going to be restored. We should not forget that this life as it is now is not the part that God intended. This is not the life that God wants. We're still plagued by sin and evil. We should not expect life to to not be plagued by the reality of evil. So he says in verse 9, For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength 80, yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Now this is just the reality, the pessimistic side of the reality of the story, that our sin, the sin of just thousands of years of human sin and the thousands of years of human evil in this story of dust and death and thorns and thistles, Our sin is its own punishment and makes our lives full of regrets and futility and frustration. We long for more. We have an instinct that things should be better, but mostly they're not. This is how Moses sees life. So Moses says in verse 12, So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. What he's saying there is to see our lives in this temporary story in some sense. There is this eternal dwelling place story that is our our real story. But right now we're in this temporary chapter and we, we number our days in this chapter that we may get a heart of wisdom. Our life in the real story is in a bad chapter of dust and death and thorns and thistles. And to see the number of our days from God's view versus a foolish heart that sort of thinks of our lives as immortal right now, that thinks of our lives as, as should be our best life now. And the fear of missing out drives us to make stupid decisions and to sacrifice the wrong things for the wrong things. And when we get things turned upside down like that and don't see the chapter that our lives are in, the right chapter, and, and and instead get a foolish heart of expecting the wrong things in the wrong chapter, that's when we mess ourselves up. That's when we become fools rather than wise. So he says in verse 14, Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice 
and be glad all our days, that we would be glad in God's steadfast love, even amidst the thorns and thistles and dust and death, that God would satisfy us with his steadfast love, that we would rejoice in God's steadfast love, that we would be glad in God's steadfast love because he is our dwelling place. He is our home. The forever God is our God forever. So he says in verse 15, make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. In other words, the joy in the future chapters, the joy in the future will cancel out all of our suffering in living in a world of sin and evil in this chapter. We have another chapter coming. We're not stuck in this chapter. Verse 17, let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. That's the end of the psalm. That's sort of just the way Moses saw the world. Look, you know, we're in a bad chapter, but we're in a better story. God is our eternal dwelling place. The forever God is our God forever. And he is the one who will satisfy us with his steadfast love. We are not alone. We are not isolated. We can rejoice. We can be glad. God will more than cancel out the suffering by the joy that comes in the next chapter. So let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us even now that he would establish the work of our hands even now that the work of our hands would be established by God, not futile, not wasted. And I have always found that phrase to be a great prayer. Oh God, establish the work of my hands, that God would bring eternal fruit from my, my work, whatever, I th- whatever matters to me, that God would make it happen, that God would bring fruit from it, that God would bring success, but that God would bring this eternal fruit from my relationships, from my words to people, from my conversations, from my ministry, whatever that is, that God is doing things through our work that we can't see, but that God would establish, that God would bring fruit from it. Because in the bigger story, the resurrection of Jesus that has already started the renewed, restored earth, has already started God's new creation, it is the, the first pages of our next chapter. And that's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, when he's talking about all this with the resurrection of Jesus, the very last verse of chapter 15, verse 58 says, Therefore, after everything Paul just got through saying about Jesus' resurrection and our future resurrection, our bodily resurrection and glory and power and without sin, without death, he says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. How do I know my labor in the Lord is not in vain? Because of Jesus' resurrection. Because in some way, God is bringing resurrection from my work, even in this chapter of thorns and thistles and dust and death. Even in this chapter, God is using my work to bring resurrection fruit. And so that becomes my prayer, it becomes my conscious prayer in things, my conscious prayer. In, in moments when I, I'm, I'm, I'm praying, God, I pray that you would establish the work of my hands, that you would bring eternal fruit from this. 
conversation with a child, one of my kids, a conversation with my wife, a conversation with somebody who needs my ministry, something I'm doing at work that I want to matter. I want God to bring good fruit from it. I'm trying to give somebody help in a situation. Oh, God, bring work from this. Establish the work of my hands to bring fruit from this. And so we pray this ancient prayer, this this over 3,000-year-old prayer with Moses. I mean, 3,500 years, I don't know. We pray, we go back in time with Moses. A thousand years is like a day with God, but we are in this thousands of years of story. And we go back with Moses thousands of years and we pray these words with him. Lord, you have been our dwelling place. You are our eternal home. You are the center of my life. You are my home. You are my dwelling place. You are where I belong. You are my reward. You are my shelter. You are my security. You are my rock of refuge. You are my fortress. I am home when I am with you because you are my heavenly father. You are my family. You are my home. You are my eternal, everlasting refuge. Everything in my life changes. Everything is changing. But you, God, are my dwelling place forever. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You are enthroned on your throne. Always eternity past, you have been God. Always eternity future, you are God. There's nowhere else to go. There's no other story to live in. The only story that is reality is the story where you are always God. You are always in control. You always rule. And you are always on your throne. And you are always in charge. You are the eternal God. And the forever God is my God forever. You have committed yourself to be my God. You have committed yourself to be my provider, my security. You have committed yourself to be my protector. You have committed yourself to be with me and to make sure that always I will live and always live in your presence because you are my dwelling place forever. And in your presence, there is fullness of joy, as it says in Psalm 16, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore, because you are my God, and you are my dwelling place. And yes, now my sins are before you. My secret sins are in the light of your presence, and I ask for your forgiveness. I ask for your mercy and your grace. I want to turn away from my sins because you are life. You are the everlasting God from everlasting to everlasting. You are God and sin is the dumbest thing I could do because it takes me away from the only reality that is my security and the only reality that is my good and the only reality that is my joy and my gladness and my steadfast love and that is that you are God forever and you are forever my God and you are forever my dwelling place, my home, my joy my comfort, my security, my good, my peace, my satisfaction. And in the pain of my life now, the losses in my life, the way that dust and thorns and thistles and death steals things in my life that I want, 
I worship you. I lift my eyes to you. And I see all this as just a temporary chapter, like a day on your time scale, like a dot in eternity. It seems like thousands of years because it is in my time perspective. But in your time perspective, it's just a dot. And I'm just in a chapter. But this chapter's page will turn because Jesus has already risen from the dead. The next chapter has already started. And I know the rest of the book. I don't know how exactly. I don't can't imagine eternity, but I know that it will never get old. Each page will be new with excitement and joy and gladness because you are infinite. You never get old. There is always something new every morning to experience with you, to marvel at with you, to experience your beauty and your glory, your infinite eternal godness that always satisfies new every morning, that it's always something to be freshly excited about and to experience some new experience with you forever in these chapters to come in eternity because Jesus rose from the dead. So the things that I do now, the things that I work hard at now, the things that I have to sacrifice now because I'm living in a bigger story that make me miss out If this chapter were the only book, I would be missing out, but it's not. It's just a chapter in a larger book. And so I pray that you would establish the work of my hands to matter in the coming chapters, that you would establish the work of my hands to matter in this chapter, and that you would bring fruit from the work of my hands, that you would make the work of my hands matter, the words of my mouth matter, my relationships matter that I would see my life in the real story, the bigger story, that I would number my days now to gain a heart of wisdom rather than living like the fool who's trying to not think of the number of my days, but live now as if I'll live forever and as if now is the most important moment and it's not. I'm just in a chapter, but the most important moment about, the most important thing about this moment is that I live it for you that I lift my eyes and worship you, that I see you as my dwelling place, that I see you as from everlasting to everlasting. You are God, and that I would look to you to satisfy me with your steadfast love, that I would look to you to satisfy me with your joy and your gladness, that I would rejoice because you make me glad in the joy of your bigger story and the joy of your favor upon me that you would let your favor be upon me, O Lord, your grace be upon me, and your mercy be upon me, that you would empower me with your grace, that you would empower me with your favor, that you would make your face shine upon me, and that you would bless me, and that you would be gracious to me, and that you would establish the work of my hands. Yes, O Lord, establish the work of my hands. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to A Bigger Life, a podcast of The Crossing, a church in Columbia, Missouri. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and give it a rating so people can find this content more easily or consider texting it to a friend or posting it on social media. Thanks for listening.